Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. It's every week that it's, it's more than just about opening up venues. Uh, it's more than getting rid of our masks or even getting the vaccine to put the last year and a half behind us uh, and all that it has done to us. And it did a lot. And we've talked about, um, you know, what it's done in our relational breakdowns, uh, the sad, sick, even sinful people that we may have become during this time behind our masks the, the self-centeredness that may have crept in in our culture and maybe in our own lives. And, and with each of those, we, we looked at a biblical key to, to trying to put this all to an end, bringing it to a close, finding the health and the healing and even the forgiveness that we need. And today I'd like to take another step along that journey by looking at something uh, that may not fit into a CDC directive or into Health Canada exactly, but it probably should. I think we need to start to replace these super spreaders in our lives. The social media, the clickbait, the angry news headlines, the voices of truth instead of the voices of falsehood, voices of peace instead of voices of anxiety, voices of calm uh, instead of conflict. Because You know, most of the online and media voices you are hearing are not saying, I'm here to elevate you and educate you and help you navigate a very complicated world and a nuanced issue. Instead, the message seems to be, I'm going to dumb down everything to a jolt of cortisol that's going to marinate your heart in anger chemicals. And uh, I'm going to do that for the next hour or so because that keeps your attention on me or my platform. And, you know, one of my friends uh, in my my small group decided during this time to unplug from the news. Not because news is inherently bad, but because she didn't like what it was stirring in her, the kind of anger it was fomenting you know, where people got their information during this time and how they got their information over the last year and a half, it mattered, didn't it? Uh, There were wildly competing narratives and ideas and facts and figures and spins. Uh, You know, conventional wisdom used to be, don't believe what you see on the internet. Nowadays, the lack of trust in sort of conventional media, the message is, Uh, What if you can only believe what you see on the internet? Now, I'm not going to use our limited time this morning to editorialize on on what sources seem to get it right and which ones tend to get it wrong. I want to rise above all that mess. What I want to argue is that if we're going to put all this 
misinformation, all that was conspiracy theory, all that was fake news and false narrative and misleading fear tactors, all the anxiety of the media that I'll call super spreaders that we've indulged in the last 18 months, we're going to need to replace those voices uh, with the only voice that should be absolutely unequivocally authoritative in our life. You know, the one opinion that should serve as the ultimate filter through which we think about anything and everything. The, the one source that we should absolutely consult before all others and then judge all others. You know, one source that should be prioritized to, listened to more than any other. It's, it's the voice of God, which is most readily available through scripture. And that's the fourth biblical key to putting all this mess behind us. I, I don't care whether you're glued to, you know, CBC or Rebel News or CNN or Fox.com or embraced whatever, you know, Facebook or YouTube or uh, first site that comes up when you Googled. It's time to replace the loyalty and the primacy of whatever voices you've listened to over the last 18 months with the importance and the primacy of, of God's word. And we believe God speaks in 2021. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to spend any time on that this morning on the way that God can speak to you in real time. Uh, I had a bit of an experience of that myself this week, and I would encourage you to instead uh, sign up for this Hearing God seminar, uh, just a totally transformative practices that allow you to kind of clear the static and actually hear God speaking to you. Instead, I want to spend the bulk of our time reminding us of the primary way that God speaks to his children, and that's through the gift of scripture. And uh, so here I'm going to give our guests and our spiritual seekers uh, and our religious tire kickers just a bit of Christianity 101, and I'm going to give our OGs a bit of a reminder this morning. What we have in the Bible is God's revelation to us, okay? That word revelation comes from a Latin word, uh, revelatio, which means to draw back the curtain, okay? It was actually a, a theater term. It, now, imagine a stage where a play is about to begin, you can't know the story until the curtain is pulled back, until it's revealed, right? That's the Bible, God's revelation. It's God pulling back the curtain and revealing himself and the truth about himself that could not be known otherwise. Bible isn't a normal book. We believe it's inspired by God. Now, don't, don't water that word down. Sometimes we use that word inspired to mean that something was, you know, wonderfully creative. Anita Archibald's painting was inspired. Uh, Derek's worship leading was inspired. Sometimes we use the word to, refu to, to refer to something that we feel, uh, how we find a beautiful sunset or, or a specific scene in a movie. It's inspiring, but... 
inspiration as it relates to the Bible is a lot more profound. Uh, When Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, of the early Christian movement, was describing it to Timothy, a young leader that he was mentoring, he put it this way. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The word uh, Paul used in the original Greek language writing for inspire literally means God breathed. And the idea behind the inspiration of scriptures is that it's breathed out by God, exhaled by God, produced by God. It's not a human book. Yeah, it was written by humans. um, But as they were moved by, inspired by God, it reflects their human personality and writing style, their vocabulary, the time in which they lived. But the act of writing itself was, was stirred by God. Did you know that over 3,000 times in the Bible, we find writers using some form of the expression, the Lord says, dot, dot, dot. The prophet Jeremiah recorded uh, God saying to him, I, God, have put my words in your mouth. God was involved in the process here. And one of the, the clearest expressions of this idea is found in the book of Second Peter. It's the second letter that Peter, the disciple, wrote. And he had this to say, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So why is this uh, such an important truth, especially these days, because we need its truth to combat the lies that are being fed to us on how to do life, how to think about life, lies coming at us every day. We need to know godly ways of thinking, of engaging, of critiquing. We need, um, just as we read, to know what is true. We need to know what is right. We need to know what is wrong. And it's, it's not just the lies being fed to us from the outside, from media. It's the lies we're telling ourselves, right? The lies coming from inside. We lie to ourselves all the time. So we need a reliable source so that we can actually preach, preach to ourselves, preach to our heart in the car. And as we fall asleep, preach to yourself is what the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews puts it. He says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I don't know about you, but I need that. Maybe you don't, but I do. A truth that is grounded in something bigger than my feelings, you know? My feelings change on any given day. I need something that is transcendent, something bigger than, well, that's, that may be your truth, but this is my truth, and that's his truth. 
something that is eternal, that doesn't change based on cultural trends. You know, one source of truth isn't as good as another. It can't be, right? Very quickly, these truths start to contradict each other. So what we need is the ultimate source of truth, the one that comes from God. And the most accessible way to get it, the most normative way, is is through his word. And I can't help but think that over the last 18 months, um, we've gotten away from it. Maybe replacing it with those super spreaders that have just messed with our thinking and our values and our very souls. And we're not the first generation by a long shot to, to need this reminder to get back to the word of God and let it straighten us out where we've gotten off course. Let me read what Paul wrote to this new church plant that he started in the city of Galatia. He got this church going, got its footing secure, and then he had to go. And then these other folks infiltrated the church who were seemingly credentialed and and who sounded good, but they were saying, no, no, no. All that stuff you heard about Jesus, that, that's wrong. Let, let us tell you the real deal. They were being fed in this church a lot of misinformation about the very nature of the gospel, which means good news, good news about Jesus and forgiveness and grace. It's the very heart of the Christian faith. And the church was buying into this super spreader of, of, of bad information, even though it went against the very things they had come to know about Jesus. So here's what Paul wrote to them. And I like this translation, forgive its sort of um, colloquial language from the message. I can't believe your fickleness, he wrote. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know, It is completely other, an alien message, a no message, (laughs) a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something, other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. Okay. Three things sort of jump out to me in that correspondence. First, isn't it interesting how easily the, the Galatians were swayed, turned to the fringe to embrace this false narrative? how easy it can be for us in 2021 to do the same. Maybe it happened so quickly because it was a narrative they wanted to believe. They liked the message, even if it was distorted. We get that tendency, right? I also noticed that what Paul writes shows us how tall and strong the truth is meant to stand over and above any other source of information. 
The central message of the Christian faith is is given and evidenced by Jesus. And it is so absolute that nothing or no one can take away from it. Not even believing an angel with a different message than the one given by Jesus, much less a human source, has the authority uh, to alter the message of the Christian faith as given by Jesus himself. Paul wanted to make it clear that no matter how eloquent, how educated, how persuasive, how charming the people who were spreading this false narrative may have been, it was still a false narrative. So if you're a Christ follower, follower, you don't stand over scripture. Scripture stands over you. And what scripture plainly teaches stands over what anyone or any other source of news ideology or truth might say. The third thing that stands out was this last line from Paul. Let me read it again. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Have you, have you felt that way at all in the last year and a half? You know, what happens when you swap out the truth of God for something else? You crazy Canadians. You crazy Americans, you crazy Christians. Paul wrote in another letter, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And what happens when you trade the truth about God for a lie? Paul goes on and he writes in Romans, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious gossip and behavior. Does that sound remotely familiar? Was this written last year? Um, When you exchange the the truth of God for a lie, when you put other news feeds over and above God's, what you get can only be called crazy, which is why it's not just about getting our theology or, or our worldview straightened out by getting back to letting scripture be our main and only authoritative source. It's also about letting the word of God that has been given to us actually change us, transform us, allow it to um, make us new through its daily application in our lives. You know, the feeds that we've been listening to, the sites that we have been visiting, the news channels over the last 18 months haven't just altered how we think and feel and what we believe, but how we act and, and who we've become. Even for those faithfully reading scripture and listening to God, I bet it can't compete to the number of hours that we invest in these other sources. Man, I, I swear sometimes I hear more hours of a certain podcast voice than I do of my own spouse. This is for me this morning, folks. Um, I know it's a cliche, but input really does determine output, doesn't it? What goes in affects what comes out. And in this great wisdom book of the Bible, it's called Proverbs. We read these words, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Whatever sites and feeds and apps you've been camping out on in the last 18 months, has likely changed the person that you are. You may have heard, um, I think Craig Groeschel uses this 
bit of wisdom, you know, something like, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. And I think there's truth in that. And I would even say this, show me your five most visited websites or Twitter follows or news feeds or media platforms. And I'll show you a pretty accurate description of your worldview, maybe a little bit into your character. So how can we clean that up? How can we change the input? Let's stick with the writings of Paul in the New Testament and and quickly look at, at six basic inputs that we ought to be emphasizing in our life other than Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcasts, fill in the blank. Here's what he says in Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's your new influencers, okay? And, and each one of those six very specific things he mentioned are important. So let, just quickly, let's make sure we get them down. First, he tells us that our minds should feed on things that are true. And if the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that is, well, how do you know what's true? Uh, you're not alone. And I realize there are complex issues with a great deal of nuance, especially these days. It requires wisdom and maturity and discernment. But if you're a Christ follower, we start with whether it's true biblically. That's, that's where we start. If it's not true biblically, then it's not true. At least not if you believe we're dealing with God's revealed word. Second, we should feed our minds on that which is noble. The idea here is to focus on things that are, are worthy of our respect. Instead of things that, you know, own the libs or pick fights with the right, instead of things that make you cynical, look for things that, can, that you can look up to. Um, really, how much of what you're scrolling online uh, tempts you to worst attitudes towards people. Try filling your head with things that make you think good of people, make you want to be good too. Uh, things that cast a vision for your life, things that call you to be better, deeper, more grounded, more like Christ. If you are, are frequenting sites that constantly incite anger and bitterness, and resentment, um, and you need to turn it off and replace it with a good dose of what is noble. And I'm preaching to this knowing that my wife is sitting right here and knowing that she knows how I feed my anger a lot of times on these sites. And I need to stop. Third thing is we should feed our minds with those things that are right. Now, by right, what is meant are those things that are just, okay? Filling your mind with, with what the just thing to do is instead of what you can get away with or avoid. You have shown us, O Lord, what is good. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. You feed your life with things that make you less um, selfish and more 
selfless, less self-centered and more sacrificial, less self-absorbed and more servant-hearted. Fourth, we should feed our minds on those things that are pure, Paul says. And the idea here is, is that of moral purity. Um, in the part of the Bible called the Psalms, it says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Now, imagine taking that verse, printing it out, and putting it on your computer screen or having it attached to your phone. No follower of Jesus should take things into their inner world through the window of their eyes that they know is vile. The word vile means uh, morally depraved, obviously. Obviously something like pornography. But there's all kinds of of porn, if you will, um, if we use that word to mean morally depraved or worthless things. You know, there are sites divided to, devoted to um, horror gore, uh, sites devoted to gossip, sites devoted to essentially making fun of how people dress at Walmart. And sexual porn, though, I think we would agree is the most pervasive. Uh, and we've decided at NAC um, that as uncomfortable as it is, we're going to talk openly about this because it's so culturally ubiquitous. It is so destructive relationally and emotionally and spiritually. And it has infected the church. And folks, porn is not neutral, okay? It's been proven to be addictive. It's been proven to be progressive. And by that, I mean that you you might start with Google images or what's called soft porn, but over time it takes ever increasing levels of exposure and ever increasing degrees of decadence to, to satiate you. It's particularly degrading to women. We're finding that it is devastating to young children who are exposed to it um, on multiple fronts. It harms your relationship with your present and future spouse. It, it, it's It's hazardous to your soul. It's soul novocaine. It's numbing. And I know we've needed in the last 18 months um, something numbing, it feels like. Something um, to get our minds off, you know, this hellscape that we've been living in. But I don't want to throw shame at people who are caught in this web or fall prey to its consumption, kind of like just have this pastor just stop, just stop doing it approach. In fact, uh, I, I feel great empathy, particularly younger women, women, younger men who have grown up with an access to porn that people even of my generation couldn't have imagined, you know? It is accessible and free and anonymous. You know, gone are the days when you have to get into your car and drive to the seedy part of town and, and walk publicly into what we used to call an adult bookstore, which is ironic because it appeals to the most adolescent nature in us. And nowadays, it's all around us. Porn has become the wallpaper of our lives, and we believe it is helpful to bring what was in the dark into the light. 
and that we would talk candidly about these things with people who love you, people who have struggled with it. We even offer a group called Conquerors. And, uh, and so you can talk to me personally. And when we get sort of a, uh, what's a, you know, a number that crosses a threshold, critical mass, thank you. Uh, then, then we'll restart that group again. But I, I think we need to remember that porn is not just destructive to our personal relationships, destructive to our soul. We need to think of how even, even our minor indulgences in pornography perpetuates a whole system of exploited, hurt, broken, even abused and very lost people. We hear a lot about, you know, the empowered sex worker. And the truth is, this is not an industry filled with willing, happy participants. These sites harbor child pornography, rape. You're seeing women who are enslaved in human trafficking, who, are, who have been drugged, who have been abused. There's a great injustice happening right here in Canada where you may have heard or read about a major site, a Canadian-owned site that is being sued by dozens of women for intentionally monetizing videos depicting rape, child exploitation, trafficking, all posted without consent. And I recommend to men who are struggling with this that they would even maybe read the testimony of women who've escaped this life, maybe even have found Jesus, and who now chronicle their abuse, the, the forced assaults, the, the drugs given before filming, the violence, the threats of violence, how the industry preys on girls from troubled homes, on the addicted, on the desperate, on, on those who want father figures. It'll, it'll change you. And if it doesn't, maybe it's because you've stopped seeing people in the videos as someone's daughter, as someone's sister, as someone's son. Do you see these women as grown-up little girls? Do you see them as image bearers of a holy God? I'm sorry for that long rant, but it's an issue that we keep running up against as a Christian community. And I'm deeply concerned with the the spiritual growth of the church and with the growth of justice throughout the world. Fifth thing, we should feed our inner world with things that are lovely. It's a Greek word here that means um, things that are pleasing and truly beautiful. You know, it's important to note that he didn't use the word attractive. Like Paul's not talking about the kind of virtue that makes a person beautiful, at least in our cultural sense. You know, you've met people like that, haven't you? Maybe when you first met them, they didn't strike you as physically attractive by the world's standards, but the more you got to know them, the more you got to see their heart and their virtue, who they were, the more you begin to think they're one of the most beautiful people that you've ever met. You ever had that experience? You know, the same can be true on the opposite side. You meet someone who is conventionally, objectively attractive. But as you get to know them and hear them and watch how they do life and how they treat people, 
they become less and less attractive, even physically, to your eyes. I, uh, I sometimes think there is a temptation to give honor to the wrong things, to the wrong people, to the wrong causes. Think about the people that we tend to admire, right? Have you noticed it's usually tied to success in business, um, wealth, accomplished in entertainment or, or sports, all of which is, is fine, by the way, but it really says nothing about whether they are honorable as people. It says nothing about their character. You know, for example, just last year, Gallup did a poll about the most admired men and women in 2020. Elon Musk came in six, just ahead of the Pope. Now, all that most people know about Elon Musk is in terms of his business accomplishments, PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX, and, and that he's one of the richest people on the planet, sort of one, two, depending on the day, depending how the stocks are. And I suppose there, there is actually a lot to admire in his success. Yet, I also know that in 2018, he was sued for defamation by a scuba diver who was just trying to rescue kids from a cave. Um, in that same year, he was sued by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for tweeting false information. Um, he has spread false information about the COVID-19 pandemic. He promotes all kinds of conspiracy theories, including the idea that aliens from another planet built the pyramids in Egypt. He rejects any and all religious faith and has been married and divorced three times, rumors of extramarital affairs. Just found out this week he's left his girlfriend or his girlfriend has left him. Uh, my point is not to disparage a public figure. Elon, please don't sue me or the church. Uh, I'm just telling you facts. And, and I'm not even trying to hold up Elon to a, to a Christian standard when he has no interest in, in Christianity. I'm, I'm making a culturally relevant point here. What got him on the most admired list was seemingly simply being successful even when his personal life and workplace ethics and maybe even common sense seems challenged. What would, what would really make Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and others like them worthy of the esteem they receive is if they treated people fairly and with dignity, if the people who worked under them or alongside them praised their personal integrity, if along the way they prioritized their family and left a legacy of love for their children, and if they used their wealth in ways that serve not simply themselves, but those around them and ultimately the cause of Christ. In that scenario, the honor wouldn't be because of their wealth the honor would be how they earned their wealth, how they used it, how they treated people. The truth is um, that a rich person or a celebrity or an athlete may actually be due less honor and be a less honorable life to emulate than the person who picked up your recycling this week. So 
Take these words in again. Finally, brothers, what is ever true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the best way to think about those things, the best way to take them in, the best source for news, for truth, for right, for wrong, for good, for bad, the pipeline for what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and honorable is from God himself. And it just so happens that he has given us the most widely read uh, social media feed in all of history, still the number one selling book of all time. It's called the Bible. It's our source of truth and nobility and rightness and purity and, and what is admirable and praiseworthy things. Um, and God, I want you to know, is still talking to his children in 2021. He's still speaking. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking to you. Word of God, would you speak to us today? May, may the scripture that even we read this morning, may it accomplish what you set out to do. May it not return void, but actually change and transform hearts and minds. You're speaking, God. May we attune our ears to hear you. And it may mean having to turn off some things this week. Turn off some Netflix and some podcasts and just the background noise so that we can remember what the shepherd's voice sounds like. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. The irony isn't lost on me that as a church, we, um, we utilize regularly YouTube, Facebook. Those of you watching right now are, are using one of those platforms. Daily, we give Instagram posts, Facebook posts. Um, and then I come up and say, ooh, social media is bad. That's not bad. It's neutral. Maybe we're trying to contribute something that is noble and good and pure to the, to the mess. But maybe today y'all need to, I know I do, is just ask yourself, how does this apply for me this week? Um, not in a legalistic way, but just in a way to clear the noise, the static. What do I maybe just need to cut back on um, what, what media can I just take a fast from and reconnect with the real source of truth, the real voice that I need to hear? And so I'll leave that with you. I would love to hear, though, if, if somebody maybe feels compelled to, um, to do a challenge, a personal challenge, and, and what comes of that. I'd love if you would share that this week uh, on social media or no, um, with, with me um, and, and just, just see what 
works for you. It could be a great encouragement to all of us. You know, as good as it is to watch a streaming church, I'm glad you are. As good as it is to attend church for 90 minutes once a week, more than coming to church, more than watching church, would you go now and actually be the church? God bless you.